What creates joy in your life? What propels you into joy? You know, one of the things I love to do is I love to go zip lining. How many of you have ever gone zip lining before, right? So you put the harness on and they hook you up and you climb up really high and you get on this wooden platform and then they hook you onto the line and then they, you step off the platform and you fly into the air and this, the line is holding you and you're, you're zipping all the way across these huge areas. It's just, it's incredible. It's so much fun. It's like as a kid, I wanted to be Superman. That's like the closest thing I could get to being Superman right there. It's just flying through the air on the zip line. And uh, one of the coolest places I've ever been zip lining was Mexico. Uh, sweetie, where was that? Uh, Mexico, what city was that? It was in the, it was in the uh, Riviera there. I can't remember which city it was. Ensenada, maybe. And we're up above the canopy, and there's all these trees. And we're ziplining way up high. And, you know, I don't know if they followed all the OSHA guidelines on those zip lines for sure. You know, like the guys like grabbing you at the end. And I'm like, where's the brakes on this thing? So that was interesting. But I had just love, I love doing it. I love stepping off and letting go and just flying through the air. And so I loved it so much, I wanted to take my kids. And so a couple summers ago, we went to Leavenworth, Washington. And they have this whole cool zipline place which these guys are like dialed in. Okay, so we, here's a picture. Uh, this is, they make you wear these funny helmets and they have these little stories that go along with it. So we climb up to the top of the, the platform and we're ready to go. And then the kids are a little bit nervous because they've never been ziplining before. Like, it's gonna be fun, guys. You're gonna, you're gonna love this. And so uh, they, uh, you know, one of us go first and then they jump off and you can just see like, it goes from like terror to like pure joy as soon as they step off that platform. And I just love watching them, the, the joy in their eyes. And the, here's the thing. You cannot experience that joy unless you let go, unless you step off of that platform and trust that that zip line has got you and, and you're going to be okay. And later, later, later on, actually, we got a little more adventurous. You know, my kids were like letting go of the rope and just kind of hanging there. And, and they were like, you know, trying to fly around with their legs and stuff. And, and you just got more and more joy as the day went on because they were able to let go. And here's the key principle this morning. Letting go will propel you into joy. We've been in a series called How to Maintain your joy. And it's been all about uh, Philippians chapter one last week where John talked about the single mind. And the single mind is not like, uh, you know, the single and ready to mingle kind of mind, but like the single mind being like purposeful, like specific, okay? And Paul had a specific focus. He was about spreading the gospel. And then today we're going to talk about the surrendered mind and how joy comes when we let go. Philippians chapter two, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. There's going to be uh, words on the screen as well, the scriptures on the screen. It says this, therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I'm gonna say that one more time. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Wouldn't our world be a better place if everybody practiced those verses? I mean, think about that. Not looking out for just our own interests, but the interests of others. Not doing anything, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain 
conceit. Paul's encouragement was threefold. First of all, he said, just be together. Be together. And number two, think one thing, okay? Think one thing, focus, like on that zip line. And number three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I don't know about you, but I think that COVID has shined a spotlight and a magnifying glass on our lives in a lot of ways and has caused us to question a lot of things and to struggle through some things. And it's been pretty obvious that it's affected churches. It's affected families. There's disunity. People don't agree on things. And uh, it's discouraging to me because as a pastor, you want your, the church to be unified, right? You want us to be on the same page. And it's not always the case. In fact, uh, we have a lot of people that, that have said a lot of different things in our families and churches, things like, you know, if you don't wear a mask, then you're a selfish person. You're only thinking about yourself. And there's other people that say, well, if you force me to wear a mask, then you're being selfish, right? Don't force me to do that. If you don't take the vaccine, you're selfish. You're not thinking of other people. If you force me to take the vaccine, then you're selfish, right? So we have these arguments on both sides. And you know what? People have left our church because that, uh, they don't like masks. They don't want to wear masks. And we've asked people to wear them. And, and people have left our church because we don't police the masks well enough. People aren't, enough people aren't wearing them, so they're not going to come. And, and it's like we can't win. Like these two sides, right? And, and I think about all this stuff, and I think, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, and everybody wins. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Selfish ambition doesn't help you. It doesn't help the church. It doesn't help others. It doesn't help your family. It doesn't move the good news of the gospel forward, which is what we're about as a church. But so many times, all of us get ca caught up into this selfish ambition, and sometimes doing nothing is really something. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. So I want to ask you this question today. Wherever you are, what are we going to let go of? What are we going to surrender so that we can have that joy that the Bible talks about? The first thing I want to talk about is letting go of the need to be center stage. Some folks will do anything if you give them a parade. Parade, that sounds nice, right? I'd, I'd like somebody to throw me a parade. That sounds fun. You know, from day one, you are center stage, aren't you? I mean, you're a baby. You come out and you're like, hey, world, this is great. And your parents are just focused just completely on you, right? And you're, as a parent, I remember looking at my, my babies and just being entertained for hours. It was better than TV. Just sit there and watch them smile, watch them goo and gaw and and move around. Oh, did you see that? Oh, I think she did something. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, don't we do that as parents? We're like all about the baby. And it's incredible. Entertainment. And you cry, and you get changed, and you cry, and you get fed. I mean, it's a great life. It's all about you. And then you become a two-year-old, and you can throw a temper tantrum and get your way because you want that toy at the store, and so mom buys it for you because she doesn't want to hear you cry anymore. And it's all about you. And you, as a teenager... You find ways to manipulate your parents. You'll be really nice to them, so maybe they'll give you the keys to the car, or, or you'll do something just to kind of win their favor and earn something from them. You know, you, you manipulate as a teenager because it's all about you, right? And adults, we are really good at this. We just hide it a little better than kids. 
And we make it all about us when really life is not about us. Paul says, don't be the center. Don't be the focus. Rather simply be together, work at being one and do nothing out of selfish ambition. Unfortunately, it's not that simple, is it? Sounds really easy, right? Yeah, let's just do that. It's not that easy. It takes work. It's hard to surrender. It takes communication. And, and you know, if you're married, you understand this. Like to be one, Dale and, and Joanne, 40 years, you've been one. And you've, I'm sure you've had not a single argument, right? In your whole marriage, you've never had any conflict. They're laughing because of course they have. We all have like, what color are we going to paint the room, honey? Well, I think it should be this color. I think it should be this color. Well, now we have a conflict. Seems like a simple thing, right? But it takes work to work through these things. It takes uh, a communication. And, and so Paul is speaking into that. And he says, I want you to work at being one. And Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples if you love the lost. No, he didn't say that, did he? If you know your Bible, you know that he said, you will know, they will know you are my disciples if you love what? One another. And so maybe, perhaps, that's why Jesus sent the disciples out two by two instead of just one. He had 72 that he sent out. 72. He said, go and, and preach the word, right? And, and you would think that he would just send them out to 72 different places so the, the word could spread even quicker. But what did he do? He sent them out two by two. Now, that doesn't seem like a very efficient plan, Jesus, only one person can talk at a time. Why not send 72 out to 72 different towns? You could cover more ground. He sent them out two by two though. Why? Because if people could see their love for one another, that's the gospel message lived out. And that's powerful. It's more than just words. It's proclamation and it's demonstration. And Jesus understood that. And, and you know, Paul's talking here in Philippians chapter two, and I love the way he put the, the message Bible puts it, this, this uh, paraphrase. It says this, if you've gotten anything out of, at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Wow. If that's not as like simple English, I don't know what is. There it is, folks. In verse five and six in the NIV says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider, consider equality something uh, with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Too many times in the world, we use things to our own advantage. We use circumstances to gain an advantage. We use people to gain an advantage, to better ourselves. And when we have the advantage, when we have the upper hand, we can use that to force our will upon other people or other situations. However, Jesus was the advantaged person, yet he came to us, the disadvantaged, and identified with us. He came to where we are to fix us. And he doesn't let us stay 
where we are. I have a friend, uh, his name is Brian, it's a good name, and uh, he is a mechanic. He's been a mechanic for many years, in fact. Uh, he's a good old boy, you know, he just, uh, you wouldn't think of him as like a, a pastor, a missionary type, he just fixes cars, that's what he does, you know, and, and he's a good follower of Jesus, his family goes to church, they go to church on Sundays, and, but you know, you wouldn't think like this guy is going to be like a missionary someday. No, he's, he fixes cars. That's what he does. And he's a missionary in his mechanic shop. But yet God called him to something greater one day. He was in church and he was listening to testimonies and stories from uh, an organization called the MICA Project that works in Honduras. And Honduras is the murder capital of the world. And it's got a ton of gang problems and drug issues. And here's this guy, my friend Brian, who's a mechanic, and he's listening to this, and, and God speaks to his heart and says, I want you to go to Honduras. He's like, what can I do? I'm a mechanic, God. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. Why would I go to Honduras? And he's like, just, I want you to go. So he, you know what? he went with his church. They went and visited the, the Micah Project, and they saw something incredible. They saw these boys that were on the streets, and what they would do is these boys, they were hungry. These families, a lot of times, living on the streets. One of the biggest garbage dumps in the world that people live in is in Honduras, Tegucigalpa. I've been there. Walk through the garbage dump and talk to these people. And it's incredible uh, the, the, what the conditions that they live in. And, and, and so he, his heart was broken, and he saw these things going on. And, and, and God spoke to him again. He says, I want you to move here. He's like, no, no, God, I'm, I draw the line there, right? I mean, I, you know, you told me to go, I'm here, I'm, I'm gonna go back to my shop and back to my comfortable life. And he says, no, I want you to move here. I want you to work with the Micah Project. And so he obeyed God. He sold everything he had and he moved to Honduras, Tegucigalpa. And you think, what in the world is a mechanic doing in Honduras, uh, American mechanic doing in the, on the streets of Honduras. Well, you know what? The Micah Project, they bring these boys in off the streets. In fact, I have a picture I want to show you. There's a boy over here, and I think his name is Miguel. I, I can't remember. I wrote it down, but I forgot to, to write, put it in my notes. This is what these boys do. See that bottle in his hand? That's not a bottle of Coke. That's a bottle of glue. And these boys sniff this glue all day long, and they just have this high. They have a high all day long because it keeps them from getting hungry. And so th their eyes are just glazed over as you talk to them. This boy is nine years old, and he's sniffing glue. Here's a family that, that Brian is talking to. Here's Brian right there, kneeling down, talking to this family that lives on the streets. And this is the kind of stuff he was doing. Here's the cool thing about the Micro Project. The Micro Project is getting these boys off the streets, giving them a family, because a lot of them don't have families at all. They're just orphans. They just live on the streets. They, they bring them and they teach them how to do things like mechanical work. Bingo. They teach them how to weld and do things that they can make a living in their society so they don't have to sniff glue for the rest of their life. They don't have to live on the streets. And it's a powerful story of, of a man who said, you know what? I'm going to, I am the, I'm an advantaged person. I'm going to give up my advantaged state and come to the disadvantaged. And I'm gonna let go of the things that are comfortable in my life. And I'm gonna take myself off of center stage to show the love of Jesus. 
And, and if you were around Brian, you could see this incredible joy that he had when he was ministering to these kids on the streets. It's amazing. Even in such a restless and violent place such as Honduras. And I learned a lesson through my friend, Brian. And here's the good news. You don't have to sell everything you have and move to Honduras to get yourself off of center stage, but you gotta give up something. You gotta surrender something. What are we surrendering? What are we doing to get ourselves off of center stage? And we need to let go. What are we letting go of? We need to let go of the need to be center stage. And sometimes that could be uncomfortable. Number two, we need, we need to let go of what is mine by right. Letting go of what is mine by right. Um, you know, we're Americans. We love our rights, don't we? I mean, especially now as, as it feels like some rights are being taken away. Uh, we kind of bow up a little bit because of that. And we say, hey, you know, we have rights. There is a constitution and we, we, we believe this. And, and we don't want people to take away our freedoms. As parents, we don't want people to, to take away our freedoms. As Americans, we cling to our rights because we feel that if we let go of them, they may never be returned to us. Jesus gave up his heavenly rights. And these verses show the progression of what Jesus did. John 1:14. the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was living a beautiful life in heaven with his father and the, the Trinity was there. It was a beautiful thing, three in one, they're all there. And Jesus gives up his heavenly rights and comes down to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 12, one says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is what? The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Who's the joy? It's you. It's me. We were the joy.